Well, a very uh, good morning to you. Uh, my glasses are still unsteaming, which is really very unsteaming. There is so much, no such word. Uh, there we go. I think they're back. It's so good to see you this morning. Welcome uh, to you from me. For those of you I don't know, my name's Chris Brockway. I have the real joy of being involved in the leadership of the church here this morning, and the privilege this morning of opening up our new teaching series, which we're going to be looking at through the summer holiday period. We're a whole week in. Uh, for those of you who are parents, I hope you're still got your hair intact. You're not going completely mad uh, after a week of having children off school. If you're with us in previous years during the summer holidays, you'll know that we sometimes have a look at a little series called More Than a Sunday School Story. And we're looking at stories that we might have looked at in Sunday school if we went to church as children. And almost certainly they're stories that we've read in our Bibles as adults, but we've probably skimmed over some of the application of those stories. And that's what we're about this morning as we think about our first story, uh, the Jesus calling the disciples, which is captured in Matthew chapter 4. Well, I wonder if you've ever um, played the game uh, with another person where you show, uh, share a word and then somebody else just simply shouts out the first thing that comes to their mind when they hear that word or think of that concept. Um, we're going to play the game together. I normally embarrass myself in this game by shouting something inappropriate. So if you're wired like me, can I encourage you this morning to keep your thoughts to yourself? It will save you some embarrassment. But what comes to mind when you hear the word politician? What's the word bubbling away in your head right now? I, I, no, we're not shouting them out. Which bit of this didn't we get? I'm sure it was uh, life-bringing words like serving the nation, uh, civil servant, um, leader, and all those kind of words. Okay, another word. What about the word athlete? This seems really relevant to the Olympics at the moment. The word athlete, the words that come to my mind, dedicated, competitive, uh, fit, athletic, perhaps. What about the word hero? Seen a few of those, haven't we, of late? Some heroes, people who have done heroic things. What words spring to mind when you hear that word? Well, how about a final word? What comes to your mind when somebody says to you, think about the word Christian? What comes to your mind? What is a Christian? Well, my guess is if we were to take a straw poll this morning, lots of different things would come to people's minds when we hear that word. But of course, the early followers of Jesus weren't referred to as Christians all that much. They were referred to as disciples. Interestingly, the, the word Christian is only used three times in the Bible. The word disciple is used 281 times. So when I say the word Christian to you, my guess is the word that should come to our minds based on those statistics is the word disciple. I wonder how many of us actually had that word in our heads. And our scripture reading this morning is no exception. Jesus, Jesus doesn't call his first followers to come and be Christians, although of course that's what they were. He calls his first followers to be disciples. So what is a disciple? Well, a disciple is a learner and a follower. And when we think about Christians, a disciple of Jesus is someone who has a goal. And the goal is to be like Jesus, to be ever transformed into his image. Now, to me, that sounds exciting. That's what I signed up to on the day when I first became a Christian. I was signing up to being transformed ever more into the image of Jesus who had become my saviour. One writer has said this, disciples of Jesus live with conviction. Disciples of Jesus live with submission. Disciples of Jesus live with boldness, B-O-L-D, not B-A-L-D, with boldness. 
Conviction, submission, boldness. I wonder how many of those adjectives describe your own walk with Jesus if you've come to faith with him today. You see, to be a disciple of Jesus is about saying yes to a life beyond casual Christianity. Now, to be honest, I don't even know what casual Christianity is. I don't think such a thing even exists, but I hope you know what I mean. When we say yes to Jesus, we are naturally committing ourselves to be an obedient follower, to be a disciple of Jesus. Anything less than that in our journey with Christ is at risk of being a Christianity without Christ. It's just an eanity. Christianity without Christ is eanity. It's exactly what we discover in our scripture reading this morning as we hear this call of the first disciples. They were being called to follow in a radical kind of a way. Let's turn to the story. Matthew chapter 4, if you've got a Bible with you. If you haven't, don't worry, you can listen in as I read. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. Jesus calls his first disciples. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, sons of Zebedee and his brothers John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called to them and immediately they left their boat and their father and they followed him. So it's a great story, isn't it? Jesus calls these two sets of brothers to follow him in the passage. Peter and John, and then James, uh, sorry, Peter and Andrew, and then James and John. And what I'm really keen for us to hear this morning, if we hear nothing else from this scripture story, is this, is Jesus has not stopped calling disciples when he called Peter and Andrew, James and John, and those early disciples. Jesus is still calling disciples to join him in mission and ministry today. But more than that, Jesus isn't only calling us to be disciples, but he's calling us to call others to become disciples as well as we'll discover. Jesus is still calling people to the radical Christianity that he was calling people to 2,000 plus years ago. Now this morning, I'm going to make five quick observations from the story, and then I'm going to leave us with three points of application. Now, if you're good at maths, you're now living in fear and trembling. This is an eight-point sermon. This is not very Baptist. I am going to give you eight points, but they're going to be really, really quick. In fact, it's going to be a bit like having a tapas starter followed immediately by pudding. Some of you don't care. Okay, that's fine. You just wanted the main course. I get that. Five tapas starters and then three pudding points. And the first thing I observe from this story is this, is that disciples of Jesus are always willing followers. There's no coercion in this story, is there? There's no lethargy. There's no inertia. There's no procrastination in this story whatsoever. Jesus calls the disciples and immediately at once they follow. These guys were eager followers. They were eager and they were willing. But I'm reminded of something else as well, which is related to this in this story. And I find it really encouraging that I don't need to be the sharpest pencil in the drawer or the brightest bulb in the box in order to be called by Jesus. I find that reassuring this morning. My only qualification to be called is to hear and a willingness to respond. Peter, Andrew, James and John prove those points. 
And when you look at the recruitment strategy of Jesus, it's really quite topsy-turvy, isn't it? He didn't call the greatest, the smartest, the best-looking, the strongest, or anything else. He was calling the willing, and he was equipping the called. God has a funny habit of calling the willing rather than the most able, although those two things are not mutually exclusive. God doesn't only call the qualified, he qualifies the called, but then the called need to be willing to follow him. I find that quite encouraging. I mean, apart from the fact, of course, that I am the best looking and I am the most humble person on the planet, just about every other worldly measure of qualification to follow Christ, I fall foul of. I simply am not qualified to take this journey. In Jesus' time, commercial fishermen were, were known for their resemblance to two short planks and a box of rocks. It's fair to say that they were not the cultural elite of their day. They were uneducated. They spent their days stitching together nets and chucking them into the sea and pulling them back out again. They didn't spend their days stitching together words in order to convince others that they should be followers of the Savior of the world. But it's so interesting to me that it's into that environment that Jesus makes this first call. And I wonder why. Now, did Jesus have a passion for seafood and for, for fishing? Maybe. Maybe he didn't. But I expect the reality is, is that Jesus knew that these men who worked long hours, hard, grueling days, day after day, night after night, would be the kind of hardy people that he could rely upon. They were fishy, not flaky. So in the economy of Jesus, the most important question always is not, are you the best and the brightest? The most important question is, are you willing? Are you willing to follow Jesus, whatever the cost? And you see, how we answer that question makes all the difference between what we might call this casual Christianity versus a dynamic, life-changing encounter with the Savior of the universe, which is the kind of relationship that he longs for us to have. It's a great question to wrestle with. Are you willing to follow Jesus, whatever the cost? So first off, Jesus uses the willing. But then secondly, my observation from this story is that it's Jesus who is the one who does the calling. It's not us who call Jesus. Our story today is utterly countercultural. Jesus calling the disciples is the precise opposite to what would have happened with rabbis of his day. Normally what would happen to be appointed to sit under the teaching of a rabbi is you would normally go to that rabbi and say, hey rabbi, would you please take me on and would you educate me and teach me in the ways of God? And then that rabbi would put you through something that looks a little bit like Britain's Got Talent audition. You would be asked lots of questions and then he would make a decision, more often than not saying no, why? Because he wanted to cherry pick off the best and the brightest in order to have those people as his disciples. But there's none of that going on here in our story, is it? It's Jesus who initiates the invitation and there's not an interview, an audition or a psychodynamic test in sight. My guess is, is that unless Jesus had actually stopped to speak to, the, to Andrew, Peter, James and John, they probably wouldn't have even noticed him because they were so caught up in their everyday lives. Ouch. Sometimes I can relate to that. I wonder how many times even this week Jesus has passed me by and I've not even noticed because I'm so consumed with my life. Picture the scene for just a moment. Jesus walking along the beach. I wonder what image is in your head here. 
When I was a child, I used to imagine an empty beach that had just two boats on it and five characters. There were two disciples in one boat, and then there were the other two disciples with their father in the other boat, and that was it. Other than that, it was an empty beach. But what I've discovered is that couldn't be further away from reality. This beach would have been a hive of activity with all the smells you would expect to smell around fishing, with the noise of hundreds of fishermen and hundreds of boats scattered around this 12-mile-long perimeter beach that was around the lake. And I think that knowledge makes this story even more amazing. Andrew, Peter, James, and John would not have been easily identifiable from the crowds, and yet Jesus goes to them and handpicks them out and calls them directly. You, come and follow me. My guess is that Andrew, Peter, James, and John were probably pursuing the exact opposite of being called. They were busy being busy. They were too busy to be called. In fact, Jesus calling them, I guess, would have been quite inconvenient. They were busy making a living for their families. They were probably struggling with problems of the day. They probably didn't catch their fair share of the market. Maybe they were having a problem with an employee. But Jesus seeks them out. And with just three words, he changes their world. Come, follow me. What precious words. And it's Jesus who does the calling. And I just wonder today whether, as you think about your own faith journey, I wonder if you feel like you have value. Can I remind you today that you do, that Jesus has called you personally. He's picked you out from the crowd if you're in relationship with him, and his great desire is that you would follow him robustly. He's picking you. He wants you. He's the one who's called. There's no audition, no interview. There's not a golden buzzer in sight. Praise God for that. And Jesus is still calling people today, not only to take that first step of faith, but also to join with him in the mission and the ministry that he so delights in. Our job is to hear the call, to be willing, and to respond. Jesus calls, but it's always with a purpose. The purpose is to follow, which is my third point in our tapas starter. Our job is following. Look at verse 19 again. Three simple words. Come, comma, follow me. Jesus calls us explicitly to come, but why? In order to follow him. The heart of being a follower of Jesus is to be a disciple. And that's more than just taking a simple step that leads to our conversion. It's about taking a whole series of steps after that that become a way of life. When Jesus is inviting the disciples to follow, when you and I came to faith in Jesus, if we've taken that step, he didn't just mean, would you please follow me and be a disinterested shadow that kind of follows me around all over the place? But instead, Jesus is saying following is an invitation to go the way I'm going. Following me is an invitation to do the things that I'm doing. Following me is an invitation to be the way that I am acting, to go, to do, to be. Jesus says, come and follow me. And when we say yes to that call, we're entering into an adventure because we don't know really what it means to follow Jesus. The disciples here didn't know that. Jesus was saying, come and follow me as I love others. Come and follow me because the very next thing we're going to be doing, if you read the scripture, is we're going to be healing the sick and we're going to be casting out demons. Wow. I wonder if they'd have signed up if they'd known that was the call. Jesus says, come and follow me. You're going to help me. We're going to teach others. We're going to lead other people into a relationship with God. Come and follow me as I'm obedient to the call that my Father in heaven has here on earth for me. Follow me. Go, do, be. 
To know Jesus is to follow Jesus. And that's the call we hear over and over again. So here's a good question for each of us. How are we doing? How am I doing? How are you doing when it comes to following Jesus? Not following like a shadow, but following like a partner in mission. Fourthly, we're called to follow wholeheartedly or to follow, uh, to, to follow fully. Jesus not only calls us for a reason to follow, but he calls us for a much greater purpose. He calls us to a mission that demands our everything. It demands our all. Listen again to what these disciples do. I find their response absolutely staggering. Verse 20, at once, at once they left their nets and they followed him. Verse 22, immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. Immediately, without hesitation, at once they followed Jesus. I mean, it leaves me with a question. What on earth is wrong with these men? Could they not think up an excuse quick enough that they could have got out of jail free somehow from this calling? Did they not think about saying to Jesus, Jesus, this is a great offer and I kind of want to hold it on the table and tomorrow, maybe in a week or two times, then can I follow you? Because, you know, now is just not really convenient. They could have said, Jesus, let me first get a theology degree from Moorlands. That will take three years, Jesus, and then I'm right on board. But isn't it amazing that isn't what happens immediately without hesitation. At once, they follow Jesus. Do you know, I've discovered something in my life, and it's this. There's something very attractive. There's something very captivating about the call of Jesus, and that's why we respond to it. That's why the disciples respond to it. But I've discovered something else as well. It's very easy to block out the compelling, captivating call of Jesus and to delay making a decision about what we'll do with that call. And what I've discovered in my own life, and I dare say there are those of us who have discovered this for ourselves as well, is the longer we leave it to respond to the call of Jesus, the harder it gets to do the thing that we probably knew we should have done in the first place. Maybe you know that to be true in your own journey of faith. And I simply want to say to you, don't wait till tomorrow. Respond today at once, immediately, without hesitation. Listen to the compelling call of Jesus and respond to it. Whatever it is he's calling you to do, it might be something really big. It could be something quite small, but respond to it. We're nearly there. Fifth bit of the tapas. This is all about this thing that when we become a disciple of Jesus, we're invited to call other people to be disciples of Jesus. That's always the mission of people who have come to faith in Christ. Jesus said it himself in the words of the Great Commission. If you're following me, then go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This is the God who said, you've become my disciple. Would you now help me call other people to be disciples? And as you do that task, I'm with with you every single step of the way. And you see the difference here. It's not about making converts. It's about making disciples. It's about making followers of Jesus. Now, that's a whole other sermon for another day, and I'll save that up. But it's always the call of God's people to join in with God's mission of inviting other people to be disciples or to be followers. There's five tapas reflections, and I'm going to finish with three really quick pudding points of application. Now watch out here, because pudding always disappears too quickly in my world, doesn't it? Maybe it does in yours. It's going to happen here. 
You see, these first disciples discovered something about following Jesus, which is equally true for anyone who would follow the call of Jesus today. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you always have to leave something behind you. Always, without fail, you have to leave something behind. There's a cost to being a disciple. A picture that I have in my own mind right now, and maybe you'll find this helpful for yourself, is that you're going on a journey. I think the journey of faith is a journey. Imagine yourself in a car, and you're looking in your rearview mirror as you drive away on that journey to wherever that journey might be taking you with Jesus. There will be something in the rearview mirror that you have left behind. And our story reminds us of that here this morning. They're represented by nets, by boats, by a father in our scripture reading. There is a cost to following Jesus, but it's worth the cost. And my question for me this morning for you is this, is are you willing to leave something behind in order to follow Jesus? Some of those things will be really small. Let's take the nets as a metaphor. Jesus said to the disciples, leave your nets. Now maybe these nets are represented by the relatively small things in your life, but oftentimes I find these are the hardest things to let go of. Your own aspirations that were yours, they're not God's. You might need to leave those in the rearview mirror. It might be when you come into relationship with Jesus or when you pursue ministry or mission with Jesus, you have to leave in the rearview mirror a sinful habit or some kind of bad attitude. Maybe you need to leave some of your time, your old ways of life. Maybe there are certain websites or certain things that you frequent in life that you know are unhealthy in your walk with Jesus. They need to be left in the rearview mirror. Maybe it's your selfishness, your self-centeredness, all sorts of things, sometimes good things, we will be called to leave behind. I wonder what your nets are this morning. But then secondly, we're challenged to leave our boats. Now, maybe our boats are those things that oftentimes define who we are. I don't think they should define who we are. And maybe they're the things that give us status, but they're bigger, significant things. Maybe for some of us, we sense the call of God and it's going to pull us away from a lucrative career. Maybe for some of us, it's our gadgets, it's our iPhone, it's our computers. Maybe it's our snazzy car, our our snazzy home. Maybe we're going to leave in the the rearview mirror the life that we had planned for ourselves. Maybe for some of us, there are some past hurts that we need to leave behind us in order that we can move on with Jesus. These are big things. They're big things, but sometimes we're called to leave them behind. And then thirdly, we get this image where Jesus says, leave your father. He says to these two brothers, this call of following me is going to mean you're going to have to leave something very significant in your life behind. You're going to have to leave your father behind. You need to leave your relative. Sometimes it's going to be a call that takes you away from your, en- from your friends. Sometimes, praise God, this call takes us away from, from our enemies and we'll see them in the rearview mirror. Sometimes the call of God will take us away from the place that we love, the town that we love, the community in which we love to serve. And I really just want to honor some people who are here with us this morning, physically and online, who have heard the call of God to, in a sense, leave their father. I want to honor Joan, who is leaving a town that she loves to go and minister to the needs of her son. What a big decision to make. BCP is going to be left in the rearview mirror, Joan but you're pursuing the call of God and he's going to do great things in you. I want to honor the Bolchins who are back with us this morning. Uh, Amazing timing. Um, 
who have moved to Southampton again to be near and around their, uh, their family, but to just to pursue a call of God into something of the unknown. Southampton, really? Why? We honour you this morning. I want to honour Esther Bolton, who's wrestling at the moment and has now accepted a call from God to go and do ministry in Uganda for an unforeseeable period of time uh, in January, using her skills and her gifts. There are so many people I could mention this morning. I just wonder this morning whether or not God is calling one of us to leave something big and significant to pursue mission and ministry with him. Sometimes that means we have to leave our church that we've come to know and love. Following Jesus always means that we leave something behind. Now, of course, that doesn't always mean that God calls us away from our possessions, from our occupations or our families, but he always calls us to leave something. At the very least, he calls us to leave our old life behind and as a follower of Jesus to walk forward with him, seeking to be like Jesus. I want to encourage you this morning to listen to the invitation. This was not just for these four disciples, but it's for you and for me today. Three words. Come, follow, and serve. I wonder if one of those words really resonates with you today. Maybe come for you is come for the first time into relationship with Jesus. Commit your life to him. I can tell you it's the best decision you'll ever make. Maybe for some of us, we've been a bit like that shadow that kind of follows Jesus around and we've not really partnered with him. We've come to faith, but there's another step for us. He would say to you this morning, follow, be a robust, sold out disciple of Jesus. And maybe for others of us, the word is serve. I've got something for you. Would you join with me? That might mean a big decision. It might just mean joining a mission or a ministry within the church or even beyond. Come, follow, serve. This is the invitation of a God who, as he looks at you, looks at you with eyes of love. And the plans and purposes he has for you are good. They are good. Let's pray together. Lord, this is a a challenging story. and, And Lord, it's so easy to stop in some ways and to celebrate the the robust response and the the passionate um, response of others, the boldness of others. And yet, Lord, you have not stopped calling us today. And Lord, for those of us this morning who, for the first time, need to come into relationship with you, Lord, would you give us the courage to make that decision and to take that step this morning? Lord, we just offer our lives to you and say, Jesus, your Lord and Saviour, I choose to be your disciple I'm trusting you today for the forgiveness of my sin. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you. I follow you today. For others of us, Lord, we know that we've been walking with you for a long time and just maybe feel a stirring in our spirits, even this morning, or a a re-stirring of something that you started a long time ago that we didn't say yes to, that there's something different for us. Lord, continue to stir Stir us until we respond, I pray. And Lord, too, maybe just for some of us this morning, you've just dropped a bombshell on us. A bombshell that there's a big, big choice to make. To pursue you perhaps into the mission field to a new geographical location. Maybe to step out of our comfort zones for the first time in order that you can use us.
Lord, thank you that you're such an amazing God who calls us to partner with you in mission and ministry. Lord, would it be our privilege that we would not only be your disciples, but we would join with you in calling more people to be disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.